Hi there. Welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stedham, and Happy New Year! 2021 is finally upon us, and because this is still considered part of the Christmas season on the church calendar, we haven't achieved Epiphany yet, we're going to continue in our series of studies about the coming of Christ, the impact that Christ had on the world, and for this particular lesson, we're going to turn and look at another New Testament character who, of course, is inextricably linked to the story of Jesus, and that is his relative, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, who are Mary's relatives, and we're talking about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a very interesting character. I've often looked at him sort of as a little bit of the Old Testament, sort of held over into the New Testament, because of his arrival, uh, the story of his birth, a lot of things about him indicate that he is very much like an Old Testament character. But there are many New Testament aspects to his preaching, and we're going to look at that today. We're in the book of Luke, and Luke, of course, probably the most historian-like of the gospel writers. None of them really are historians in the modern sense, but Luke writes one of the more systematic books. And, of course, the book of Acts continues his story as he talks about the history of the early church. So he gives us a fairly specific time in which John the Baptist begins his teaching. The third chapter of Luke. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia and Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now, we know from some of the other readings that John is the kind of character who lives out in the wilderness. His clothing, his diet are remarked upon. He lives a fairly rough existence. And where he is out in the country, this is the area around the Jordan, of course, and it's not where people would be spending a lot of their time. You would think that if you wanted to reach the people, you would go to places like Jerusalem, the cities where people lived. But he, of course, spends his time out in the desert. This is where the word of God comes to him. Now, we know from the story of his birth earlier in the book of Luke that he's been set aside. He has a special mission in life, but he doesn't really begin that mission until around 28 or 30 AD. Now, I know it sounds fairly specific when we talk about the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, but historians are still somewhat vague about when this might have been, and they think 28 to 30 AD is about the time that John the Baptist began his preaching. And this would have been a couple of years probably before Jesus's earthly ministry began. So he is out in the desert, and the word of God comes to him. He went all into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that uh, he is somewhat of an Old Testament character, at least in appearance uh, and mannerisms, but really, this is a very New Testament thing that he begins with. So much of the Hebrew Bible is concerned with the corporate identity of the nation of Israel and the leaders of the nation. And we see the people, of course, 
having this communal relationship with God. By the beginning of the New Testament, it's the individual that we're focusing on. And the individuals realize that they have some sins that they need forgiveness for. Now, of course, the personal sins of, of all the people have always been dealt with during the sacrifices at the altar. This is all part of the uh, communal process that's uh, endemic in the, uh, the Hebrew Bible. But in this way, John is now teaching the individuals that they have a personal responsibility, that they need to be clean, cleaned or cleansed from their sin. Baptism is taken uh, for granted, really, in the New Testament, that the readers will understand what's going on. Uh, the baptism itself is not an element of the Hebrew Bible, but we believe this is a practice of cleansing using water that has developed during the years, uh, the quiet years, between the end of the Hebrew prophets and the beginning of the New Testament. So certainly the people seem to understand the concept of baptism, uh, and we, of course, know about it today, but we look at it in a very different way. But at this time, John is teaching a baptism for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin, a baptism of repentance. Now, of course, these are the things that the people are going to be looking for when they look for the Messiah to come, and, well, we'll see the uh, misconception they have about him in just a moment. So we're going to look into the Hebrew Bible now. We're going to get a little bit of the background of the role that John the Baptist is playing in the New Testament. Verse 4, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. Now, this is the book of Isaiah, predicting the one who is going to come before the, the Messiah arrives, somebody who's going to prepare the way. The coming of the Messiah was going to be such a momentous time, according to the writers of the Hebrew Bible, that it's going to take a very special herald to get the people's attention before the Messiah arrives. Uh, the, this this uh, person is going to come earlier, the, the precursor to the Messiah, often identified with the character of Elijah in the Old Testament. And uh, many of the people in John's day also associated him in this way. But think about what the herald has to do to tell the people that something is about to happen, to get ready. And the metaphor that's used here is a road builder. And we think about this as uh, the the Isaiah talks about somebody who's making the path clear and straight and level for the Messiah to come into the world. But also remember, a road is, is a two-way street, quite literally. And in a way, not only is the John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come, but he's also preparing the people to come to Jesus, to take this road, to find the path to the Messiah. So this is really the role that John the Baptist is going to play. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into a fire. A lot of people, when they're going to bring a message to the public, like to begin with some flattering words. Like, I'm glad you came to hear me today. It shows a lot of character. It shows that you're a person seeking out the truth, etc., etc. John did not believe in the basic precepts of how to win friends and influence people. He starts by addressing his audience as, You brood of vipers, who warned you? to flee from the coming wrath. This would not the kind of message that he would use to make himself a popular speaker, uh, to call your audience a group of snakes to start with. Not, not really the best way, perhaps, to win over their affection. But it is something they needed to hear. And it also talks to the serious nature of what John the Baptist is looking at. He's looking at a world where people are doing bad things and people need to turn away from what they're doing. Apparently, the people accepted this because John the Baptist, quite popular. His uh, message reached a lot of people. But there is this sense of coming away, getting away from the evil that's around them. A lot of people at the time, of course, thought, as I mentioned a moment ago, the the corporate nature of their religion, I'm part of the tribe, I'm part of the group. God deals with me, God has made me one of the chosen people, so I've been chosen, I'm okay. John doesn't put a lot of weight to that. He says that God is is able to bring new children of Abraham out of these stones around you. You're not that special, he says. You need to be living a life that's consistent with repentance, with turning away from sin. John was one of those people who, basically when looking at the faith, would say, show me your faith, show me your faith through your actions. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Well, after being chastised this way, after being warned, that first question that comes to their mind is, what do we have to do? John answered, the man with two tunics should share one with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Pretty much this is Christianity 101. Those of us who are able to share our blessings should share our blessings with those who have less than we do. It's a very simple, a very common part of Jesus' message, certainly, that we're going to see. And frankly, it's also a very big part of what we see in the Hebrew Bible. People were expected not to be selfish, not to be greedy, not to allow their fellow human beings to suffer, but as much as they can to share what they have with those who were in need. Again, very simple, very basic. I've often said that Christianity is not a complex religion. It's very simple to understand at its base, but human nature being what human nature is, simplicity does not always equal being easy because these are messages that are not always easy to carry out on a daily basis. Generosity of spirit is not part of our natural human nature, the way we look at things, to take care of ourselves first. But John the Baptist says this is important for all the people around there. Now he's going to be addressed by two groups who pretty much have been left out by the religious leaders of his day. 
tax collectors also came to be baptized. Well, one thing this tells me about John is that he is willing to associate with the people that the religious leaders of his day have pretty much written off. The tax collectors, remember, are Jews, for the most part, who are working for the Roman government. In one sense, they could be considered traitors, and they certainly were considered traitors by many of the people around them. They're collecting taxes, and as we know from the story of Zacchaeus later in the Bible, they were often seen as being dishonest, because after they collected the amount of taxes that would be sent eventually back to Rome, they were also allowed to take on more, and that's how they got to be wealthy. They would take more, the profit would stay with them, and they would be quite wealthy, but they were making their money again off of the suffering of a conquered people, and they were not people that would have been welcomed uh, to the temple and places like that. But they do come to John, and he's baptizing them, so he accepts them. But they do want to know how this rule of life that he's talking about applies to them. What should we do? Verse 13. Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Be honest. Be fair. Once again, simple, basic, good living. As we would say today, good, simple, basic Christian living. Follow the rules. Doesn't seem too tough to hear about, but again, When the other tax collectors are making a lot of money by being dishonest, by taking more than their share, living bigger lives, having bigger houses, having more stuff, for an honest tax collector, that might have seemed to be a a pretty major change of life. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? Now, the soldiers, of course, are either people who are Jews who are working in the temple, some of the temple guards, or these may actually be Roman soldiers, certainly people that would have been anathema to the Jewish religious leaders of John's day. But they're coming to this figure out in the desert, asking for him to baptize them and asking, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. That tells us by uh, showing us what a good soldier would do, what the bad soldiers were probably doing. They were probably extorting. They were probably making up charges against people. They were probably cheating people because they could use their power, their military might as soldiers to do this. So to the two groups of people that would have been seen rejection from the religious leaders of the day, John is saying, be honest. Be fair. Be straight. This is what God wants you to do. The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted, ex- exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. So John again understands his place in the story. Baptism up to repentance is where he's going to take them, something much bigger much greater than he is, is just around the corner. 
He's preparing the way for them to come to Jesus, as he's also preparing the way for Jesus to come to them. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the coming of the new year. We ask you that we will have your blessings this year. Help us, after a particularly tough year for most of us, to find some of the peace, some of the help that we so desperately need. Thank you for the story of John the Baptist, for the message that he brought to people 2,000 years ago, and how we can also apply those basic principles to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.